0: How are you? Hey, I am doing well. As we record today, it's a couple days after Easter. And man, I, I loved our Easter service. I loved all of Holy Week. I just, yeah, I'm thrilled. And actually, the sun is peeking out here in Oregon. So that helps. Uh, that, that helps. How are you? Uh, I
1: am doing okay. A little peek into... The life of the local pastor, Easter is an exhausting weekend, no surprise there, and so I am, every year after things like Easter and Christmas and those kinds of moments, I often just feel like I'm recuperating, and that is certainly true this week. It takes hours and hours of extra prep work to make those services happen, and They go well, and this year they went quite well, but
0: still just recuperating. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But I guess then we each have our role to play today. You get to be the grumpy, tired dad figure who had to get up way too early on Christmas morning, and I get to play the three-year-old toddler who's super excited about today's conversation that I just can't wait to open my (laughs) presents.
1: Oh, well, hopefully I won't be too grouchy, but I am happy to step happily into that role. So
0: what do you want? (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, well, here's what I want. Can today finally be the day we make our summer announcement? Yes, we have been talking
1: about this offline for weeks and weeks and weeks. As a matter of fact, I think you suggested this, and I think you did almost six months ago, if if memory serves.
0: Yes, yes. So I cannot believe it's finally time to announce that this summer we are going to do a whole Summer in the Psalms series as a podcast. And I just cannot wait. So, for those of you listening and wondering, what is a Summer in the Psalms series? Are you really just going to talk about the Psalms all summer? Uh, Yes and no. Actually, we want this to be something we do as a collective effort. We would love everybody to participate in our Summer in the Psalms series. We have designed a reading plan that attempts to confine the reading each week to just, or each day rather, Uh, down to about 25 verses, give or take, depending on how well it broke up that way, but about 25 verses a day, and we can all be reading together. And each week as we record, you and I, Josh from Missouri, Josh from Oregon, we will share our thoughts about the reading during our thoughts segment. And we encourage the listeners to join in because they will have been reading the same things and uh, having similar thoughts. So I would love to engage collectively on this. And then occasionally, I suspect there will be bigger topics that come to mind that is entire episode worthy. And on those weeks, we plan to actually talk about the, the topic, whatever that topic happens to be that grabs us. We'll talk about that for the whole episode. And then our thought segment will be like it is today, where it's kind of an unconnected thought to the rest of it. So That's the Summer in the Psalms series. Did I miss anything?
1: Yes. Um, Perhaps my favorite part of it is that we are launching the series, the Summer in the Psalms, with a discussion with someone who has meditated on the Psalms more than either you or I have, who has just a both- wonderful and profound perspective on them. And I am super excited to have a conversation with him about the Psalms. So that is, in a, in a big way, that is my favorite part. Uh, should we actually tell who that is or should we leave everybody uh, on pins and needles?
0: Well, I do think we should announce that, honestly, because I'd love to, in this conversation, equip our listeners with some optional additional resources. Good point. And I I think the resource you have in mind and the conversation that we actually recorded way back in January, so we've been sitting on this conversation forever, is just a part of that. So why don't you tell them about that? Because that actually came from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we got to have a conversation back in January with recording artist Poor Bishop Hooper. It's a husband and wife team that are wonderful followers of Jesus, uh, really cool recording artists. And throughout the pandemic, what they decided to do was meditate on one psalm each week and turn that into a recording of the psalm that wasn't trying to just be a word-for-word musicalization of it. They were really trying to meditate on the psalm, get the heart of it, write a good song, both lyrically and musically, from that experience of the psalm. And... Uh, they went through all 150 Psalms throughout the pandemic and just finished last, I want to say last October or November. And I have loved poor Bishop Hooper's reflection on the Psalms and the music that they developed and wrote for it. And so one of the ways you could both engage with the Psalms and one of the ways in which you can get ready for our discussions is to go listen to poor Bishop Hooper's work on the Psalms, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, all the different places where music is available.
0: Yeah, honestly, I, I love their take on the Psalms. I love the simplicity of the music. And quite honestly, uh, the simplicity of the music was very intentional. One, because they wanted the, the lyrics to stand out. But also because they committed to releasing one psalm every week for a hundred and fifty straight weeks. And so if you're gonna write a song every single week, it can't be, you know, wild and crazy and overproduced. It has to just flow out of your soul and, and onto the recording. And so that's exactly what they did. And I just love it.
1: Yeah, and we had such an amazing conversation with him. Unfortunately, his wife wasn't able to join us, but um, we had such a great conversation with him that was incredibly inspiring, made me want to read the Psalms even more than I already did, and uh, I'm just so excited to get to share that.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, uh, listeners, you can look forward to that conversation. It's coming out, I believe, on May 23rd, if that is a Tuesday. That is when we have that episode slotted to come out, so you can be looking forward to that. It is the last regular season episode before we get into our Summer in the Psalms series. So with that, um, I'll just, just a couple of, how do you get involved? Uh, So you might start blocking your calendar off now. The Summer in the Psalms series begins on Memorial Day and runs to Labor Day. And there'll be, you know, like I said, about 25 verses or so of reading to do each day and then, how do you get it? Into, how do you get the reading plan? Well, the reading plan you can get it in three different places. One is our show notes, which is always a great source of information. Any books or resources that we talk about on the show are always linked down in the show notes in whatever podcasting app you use. So you can use uh, the show notes. Uh, you can go onto Facebook at our on our Facebook page, Facebook slash uh, on the phone with Josh, and find it there. We're going to post it. Every week, as part of our Summer in the Psalms series. So uh, look for that. And then, if neither of those work, or if you'd prefer, you can always email us at on the phone with Josh, all together, no spaces or anything, on the phone with Josh at gmail.com. And we will be happy to send you a copy of the reading plan.
1: Yeah, really, we just want to dive into the Psalms, have some conversations about them and uh, include you in that conversation, which at least for me begs a couple of important questions that I was would love to talk about today as we start ramping up for this. Are there other details we need to hit before we start asking some of those background questions?
0: No, fire away. I'd love to talk about the Psalms more. That's awesome. Okay, so it seems to me like, the first
1: big question we have to ask, and and this was your idea, so I want to throw this to you first. There are 66 books in the Bible, and you didn't suggest a summer in Deuteronomy. You, know, <laughs> you, you didn't suggest a summer in Revelation. What is it about the Psalms that make you want to spend an entire summer reading them Together?
0: Man, oh man, there's so many things. Let me give you three off the top of my head. First of all, this was Jesus' prayer book, it was Israel's prayer book, it was the early church's prayer book. This has been formative for so many people for so long. This has taught literally thousands upon thousands and thousands of people how to pray and how to connect with God. And so it's extraordinarily valuable just for that. But there's something about the Psalms that brings about not just an intellectual side, right? Like if you read Romans, you are very much in the intellectual world. Though I'm quite content in that world, it's not the only world, and it's, it might not even be the primary world. There is a worldview and an ethos and a way of viewing the world that you just have to marinate in the Psalms in order to adopt it as your own. And I want to spend time marinating it. I want to sit in that worldview and let it soak into me and let my worldview be changed as a result. Because I think Jesus was soaked in the Psalms. Many of the New Testament writers were soaked in the Psalms. And it came out in their theology. It came out in their worship. And so that is absolutely huge for me. And I think the third is this. I I talked about the intellectual world a little bit, but I think there are two problems in the church. One is ignorance. I think people don't know their Bibles very well. I don't think people have a good intellectual grasp of, the worldview of the scriptures or the time period of the scriptures or whatever. I think that's one problem, but I think there's another as well, which is we in the church are often emotionally stunted and we in the church don't necessarily emphasize the importance of healthy emotion and the Psalms are Mm -hmm. nothing if not emotion filled. And I want to learn to engage with my emotions in my spirituality, in my connection with God. And I want the Psalms to teach me how to do that rightly or give me permission to do it more like it. I want it to uh, open up my soul and allow me to experience emotion better. That's so good. Man, my
1: list of of why I want to dig into the Psalms is, is very similar to yours. And, uh, you know, as I think about the Psalms, one of the things that struck me as I was, as I have been getting ready for this, you know, there's this moment in the New Testament where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. It struck me recently as I was thinking about that, that what Jesus really said without having to say it was, well, Obviously, you know the Psalms, so you know that about prayer. So let me tie everything together for you.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: He assumes the Psalms as the prayer book because it was Israel's prayer book. It was his prayer book. It was their prayer book. They had been listening to Psalms prayed over and over and over and over again their entire lives. And so he doesn't have to point back to that because it's assumed. When mm. you think about that Lord teach us how to pray question, that makes the Lord's prayer a masterclass on prayer, not a primer on prayer.
0: Yeah, I'd never thought about it that way. That's really good. Yeah, I, and and if that's the case,
1: it is entirely possible that we can't even begin to grasp things like the Lord's Prayer until we sort of marinate, like you said, in the prayers that his intended audience would almost take for granted. I mean, Jesus knew the prayers of the Psalms so profoundly well that in the worst moment of his life, On the cross, he is quoting the Psalms to give voice to his inner life. Mm. And in case we think that's just some sort of supernatural mumbo-jumbo because he's God in the flesh, one of the things that has always stuck with me uh, last week or the week before we did a book's that you read from seminary that were worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I loved that conversation. But one of the thoughts that has stuck with me from my seminary education 20 years ago was a comment that one of my professors made about Jonah. And I am just going to assume that my professor was correct because I've never done the work to actually follow up on this. But he said, if you Go to Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish. It is jam-packed with allusions to the Psalms, such that it becomes evident that Jonah's prayer language was so deeply informed by the Psalms that in this his most desperate moment, it is the Psalms' That give him language to speak. Mm-hmm. And if this worked for Jesus on the cross, and Jonah in the belly of a fish, and who knows who else throughout the years of the history of God's people, what better thing could I aim for in my prayer life than to have my words and thoughts? formed and fashioned by a profound familiarity with the Psalms.
0: Yeah. You know, I love that you use those two examples in particular, because I think I hear thoughts like, oh, pray the Psalms. Wow, what a nice spiritual thing for somebody to be doing. Boy, wouldn't I be a great Christian if I could do that? And it's all so theoretical and nice and christiany but when you put it in those contexts jesus is suffering and dying on a cross jonah has been swallowed by a whale and the language fish fish, big fish (laughs) for all of our
1: uh, dog gadol evangelical elitists who want to make sure they correct our fairly insignificant bible details yes true
0: that but you go back to these moments of true suffering and true anguish, and the words Jesus reaches for in particular are telling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When was the last time we all sat around in a Bible study and talked about that being the prayer to emulate? I, I mean, it's just, it's not this nice little Christian-y thing to do anymore. This is like... A genuine place of a variety of emotions and realities and consternation and pain. And I don't know, there's so the whole range of human emotion and experience is found in the Psalms. So it's not just this nice little thing to do. In fact, some of the Psalms are really, really troubling. And I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do with those as we encounter them on the podcast, but I like that you talked about a prayer language. And that if our language is infused with these psalms, then as we engage with a wide variety of human experiences, there is a psalm for that experience.
1: Yeah. There are times, I don't know if you were ever like this, but there are times I am just tanked. If I close my eyes and try to pray, I get nowhere. Mm. I, I just got nothing. Nothing. You know, this happened just the other day, and I just had no energy to pray, and I had no idea what to say, and I remembered that one of the psalms started with the line, save me. And I thought, well, I'm tired and worn out, and that sounds good, and I didn't remember what psalm it was, so I pull out my, I have an edition of the psalms that's, it's just a leather-bound psalms-only copy of the psalms where the verses don't get in the way and the chapters don't get in the way, whatever. And I'm just flipping through it. And I'm like, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Until I get to Psalm 69 and read, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes have grown dim with waiting for God. And I thought, I can relate. Yep, okay, that's how I feel today. And all of a sudden, my prayer was in focus.
0: Yeah, I forget who I was reading, but it was somebody that was advocating for written scripted prayers throughout history. And this is not something I grew up with necessarily. I I didn't grow up in a liturgical congregation where scripted prayers were emphasized or read or corporately done But I've come to value it over time. And one of the things that this author said, I wish I could remember who to attribute this to, was, by and large, we don't know how to pray. So most of the time, pulling up a scripted prayer, or as you're describing it, a psalm, is the preferred method, because we don't know how to do it. Now, if that scripted prayer takes you in a different direction and you start praying outside of that prayer or you have a a sense from God about how you should be praying, well, sure, fine, do that. Most of the time, that's not the case. So just start with the scripted prayers. And if the Spirit leads you elsewhere, fine. And I really value that just recognition that as you're describing, we don't always know how to pray. So how about we use somebody else's words to guide us?
1: Which requires some level of familiarity to know that they have they're offering me the right option for the day. you know mm. it's not like I had read psalm sixty eight the previous day and I was going to read Psalm seventy the following day. I needed to be familiar enough with them to know that that was in there somewhere and to be able to flip around and find it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good point,
0: right?'re yeah, not we're I not think always so. I made
1: it. Why do you think it's a good point?
0: I think it's a good point because you said it. And I just think (laughs) everything you say is amazing. Uh, That's
1: one of those places we agree.
0: (laughs) I think it's a a good point because as we go through this summer in the Psalms, it's obvious that we're going to read some emotion in a text that we're not going to connect with in the moment. That's just not where we're at today. God, spite my enemies. They're all horrible. I wish they would die, you know, I'm the righteous one, bless me. I'm pretty sure most of us don't feel that on a day-to-day basis. And it's it's going to be rare that we're going to encounter a psalm like that and be like, yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. But like you said, knowing that they're there, we can come back to them in moments when we need them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, because there are... It's funny the moments that catch me. One of my favorite psalms in theory, is one that I emotionally connect with, even though the actual text is not something I should be able to relate with at all. This is Psalm 126, and the first couple verses just say, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And... I find that to be an absolutely captivating image and line, despite the fact that it's about a piece of the Bible story very specifically, right? Like this is when Israel is restored after captivity, and it just catches my heart. And in this way, maybe I guess what I'm trying to say here is it does the opposite of what a lot of the other Psalms do. A lot of the Psalms give me language for where I'm at. This is an invitation into the Bible story in a very personal, emotional, and sort of interior life kind of way. Mm. And I am so grateful for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I confess? I know this is going to take the conversation in a different direction, but I just need to confess. You have now pulled up two separate references to the Psalms. And given concrete examples of how your existing saturation in the Psalms has helped you. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I wish I had that. I have to confess, you've spent way more time in the Psalms than I have. And I recognize my own lack in this. And I want to be able to do what you just did. And reference ways that the Psalms have affected my soul. So I guess I wanted to say that because one, I just felt like that was what was on my heart more than what you were saying, which was a problem for me. And then the other is that I suspect there are others out there listening going, oh man, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, I think that's part of the draw for me is one, I want to do this in community. And two, I just recognize that This is an area of lack for me, and I would like to make it an area of growth and excitement.
1: Well, and the encouraging part about that is that this is going to be a delightfully imperfect journey for all of us. You know, this is not going to be the journey where, uh, you know, thinking about the old 80s, 90s accountability groups where... You would get together, okay, did you do your reading? Did you do your reading? Did I do my reading? Did you do my reading? You know, like, nope, I failed. Nope, I failed. You know, like, it's not that. Like, one of the things we would want this to be is not—this isn't a weighty, emotionally wearing kind of thing. I will guarantee you, as someone who considers himself a reasonably faithful student of the Bible and a reasonably disciplined person, if I successfully manage to read four days out of seven every single week— I'm going to be doing awesome and have to catch up the other ones because Mm. that's just real life. Sure, sure. And I'm just excited to go on a journey into the Psalms with a group of people who are in it for what you just said. Like, we we just want to grow more. This isn't a duty. It's not a habit. It's not a discipline. It's just a hunger. And the beautiful thing about the Psalms, by the way, that I love, if somebody is joining us on this journey and they miss a week, they don't have to catch up because the Psalms don't work that way. You can just start (laughs) fresh where we're at.
0: Oh, that's true. That's true. They don't build on one another.
1: Yeah. But any Psalm is a perfectly fine entry into the journey, Mm -hmm. which is probably why I have spent so much time in the Psalms, by the way because you know there is no question between the two of us which of us is a better finisher of stuff that is clearly you i am not good at finishing things and so frequently when i am burned out on whatever reading plan i'm supposed to be doing i am tired of whatever book of the bible i'm supposed to be reading I'm just like, I can't handle it. I'm just going to read a psalm or two, and it'll be great because I don't have to think about which one I'm supposed to read, and I don't have to worry about whether I'm reading it in context, and I don't have to—I can just read it. It'll be fine. Mm. And as someone who has maybe never successfully finished a Bible reading plan of any kind ever, I am just grateful for something that I can read a la carte.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Well, so, all right, we've already talked a little bit about poor Bishop Hooper and their amazing renditions of the Psalms. And you've also mentioned your leather-bound edition of the Psalms, which, by the way, inspired my family to give it to me, the same edition to me as a Father's Day gift many years ago. So I have that same beautiful edition that you're talking about. These are two resources that people can use in engaging the Psalms. And I wonder if you have suggestions for others. Like, I don't want to, let me back up. If we manage to read all 150 Psalms, I think, holy smokes, what an accomplishment. Exactly. So I don't want to weigh this down with a bunch of extra stuff. But if people are looking for other resources, do you have any that you suggest? Uh, I
1: can tell you what I am going to be doing for our conversation here I don't know which of these might be helpful to other people. The The most valuable resource that I've already started listening to is Sandra Richter. Is that right? That's how I pronounce it. Okay. So Sandra Richter recorded an audio class through Zondervan, I think, um, that's available on Audible. If your library does Hoopla, it's av- available on Hoopla. And it is a wonderful introduction to the Psalms. And she is just a delightful communicator. And she just leaks Bible and wisdom every in everything she says. Mm. Um, she is so profoundly in the perspective of the scriptures that I am just grateful every time I hear her say stuff. So I'm going to be listening to what, to her lectures on the Psalms. I'm also going to be working my way through Alec Moyer's Psalms by the Day, which is just a, he calls it a devotional translation of the Psalms. Really, this is just an academic translation with some devotional thoughts for those of us who may need some guidance on the Hebrew because our Hebrew is horrid. And he's also really very good at looking at structure of poetry. And so his commentary on Isaiah was one of the first commentaries I ever read, and I found it to be delightful. And this is his sort of rendition of the Psalms, paying attention to the literary structure. And, and I'm looking forward to reading that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about that. What about you? What Any resources on your end?
0: Yeah. You talked about a more scholarly translation of the Psalms. I would love to go in the opposite direction. And I think one of the things I want to do is, at least on occasion, read Eugene Peterson's translation of the uh, message—I'm sorry, the message version of the Psalms by Eugene Peterson. I just think— He has a wonderful way of viewing the Psalms and and just Scripture in general, and I think his paraphrase may occasionally be helpful in pulling different things out of the Psalm than I otherwise would get. So I'm really looking forward to engaging with him. And then my scholarly read on the side is really unconventional. I'm going to be reading a book called The Psalms as Christian Lament, And the authors of that are Bruce Waltke, James Houston, and Erica Moore. And this only covers 10 of the 150 Psalms. It covers Psalms 5, 6, 7, 32, 38, 39, 44, 102, 130, and 143. Oh, those ones. Yeah. Right? I know you just instantly knew exactly which ones I was talking about. If I were going to write a book, those are the ones I'd have picked too. (laughs) Uh, But he's specifically looking at these, um, I say he because Waltke is the kind of the main author here, because they are lament psalms. And so I'm really curious. I don't think that I've spent a lot of time with lament, but I know that this is a facet of the biblical worldview that I need to engage in more deeply. That and I think that these could be some pretty challenging psalms on their own. So I'm going to be reading that, so I'm not going to have a commentary on all the Psalms, so I'll be relying on you for some of those. Um, but yeah, those are the two resources I can think of. But you mentioned uh, Poor Bishop Hooper. I also want to recognize the fact that there is a a jazz version of the Psalms that is called Psalms Reborn, so that is really worthwhile. I've only listened to like one or two of them, but top-notch recording, and they are other recordings out there of various Psalms, but those are the only two I I know of that have gone through the entire Psalter.
1: Man, I am excited about listening to that jazz compilation. I have never heard of that. And so I am really looking forward to hearing that. And then honestly, I'm excited that you're looking at those Psalms. There's something interesting about doing a deep dive into a limited piece of the Psalms that I think is very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I'm really curious what it'll be like. I'm curious about the whole project, honestly, the the, the whole Summer in the Psalms thing. It's just, I can't wait to see how it goes. Absolutely. Which reminds me, by the way, if somebody wants to just
1: read about a few of the Psalms, one great book that I I loved and I haven't read in ages is Peterson's Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which covers the Ascent Psalms. Um, they
0: do, yeah, that is and a it's great resource. It is, and it's not a commentary or anything like that. It's almost as you were describing before about having been soaked in the Psalms, and this is kind of the reflections that come out of that. I don't know that worldview, that shaping process. Uh, it's really good. Very long. It's it's quite a long book, but really, really good stuff.
1: Mm. Yeah. I was just looking at my bookshelf. I have accumulated, as the guy who doesn't like to finish things, I have a couple of these little books that I may read as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a book on prayer that is 71 pages, and it's little tiny. Thomas Merton has a book on praying the Psalms that is less than 50 pages. Walter Brueggemann has a slightly longer, nope, has a an 81-page book on the Psalms. Uh, you know, I am counting my books read this year. I might read those three just because they're all really short. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, cool. I, I once again for the listeners out there, you can get a copy of the reading plan by looking in the show notes. You can email us for a copy. Uh, you can email us at on the phone with Josh at gmail.com. Or you can go to Facebook. Unfortunately, our Instagram account can't upload links to documents. So go to our Facebook page. Just search for On the Phone with Josh. Like us on Facebook and come get your copy. So uh, that'll be in the show notes of every week hereafter. And we'll be putting it up on Facebook multiple times. And like I said, you can always email us. So we hope you join us. We hope you uh, take some time out of your summer sitting by the ocean or sitting by the lake or whatever, reading the Psalms with us. I would love to do that together.
1: Exactly. And at the end of the day, if we all dive into the Psalms a little bit more,
0: that can only do good things for us. Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. Well, with that in the metaphorical rearview mirror, Josh from Missouri, what else have you been thinking about?
1: You know, I was inspired this week by uh, one of the authors you mentioned. You talked about Fred Sanders and his book on the Trinity, that you loved that phrase, The Happy Land of the Trinity. And there is a series of lectures available, again, through Zondervan, that's available on places like Hoopla and Audible, that he does, that is a really great, I'd never heard him speak before, it's a really great Introduction. It's two and a half hours of an introduction on the Trinity and its place in the Bible, its kind of theme in the Bible, and it's the development of the doctrine over time. And, and he hits some great stuff in there, and I've, I feel like my thought is, wow, go read that or go listen to that. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll be honest, my real thought today is, is a little on the silly side. It is that I am slightly annoyed that when I listen to something like that, I don't get credit on Goodreads. Ah, yes. I'm just a little frustrated about that. For those of you who don't know, Goodreads allows you to count the number of books that you have read throughout the year, and it allows you to keep track of your page count for the year, and... This actually keeps me inspired to keep reading, which is kind of fun. But one of the downsides of it is that anything that was not originally actually a book, it does not count for your page count. And so it is tempting to ignore those kinds of resources. This has happened a couple times to me over this year so far. One of my favorite authors developed an audiobook that is in the form of a live true crime podcast series mm-hmm. and because of that even though it is technically an audiobook it does not have a print version so i don't get the credit for it and now i'm listening to this set of lectures that are amazing but i don't get credit for it and i just want to complain
0: i i'm so with you there are a bunch of podcasts out there that I want to listen to, but this is the thing that holds me back. And that's a bummer. There's some really quality podcasts out there that should not be ignored just because we don't get page credit, but there Absolutely. you have it.
1: Goodreads is going to have to figure this out. Uh, so yeah. I, I find this intriguing and just want to beg, uh, not Audible, excuse me, beg Goodreads to catch up. Yes, please, please catch up. You know, give us a double count on pages read and episodes listened to or whatever.
0: Yes, that would be good. But uh, what about you? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so my thought is kind of an amalgamation compilation of a number of different thoughts that all kind of have come together. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I really really enjoyed Easter Sunday. And part of the enjoyment for Easter Sunday was our church's approach to Holy Week. And Wednesday night we had a whole event where you could come through and kind of pray your way through a stations of the cross type of event. Now it wasn't the typical 14 stations of the cross that we're used to, but it was something akin to that and You had these different prayer experiences that you did at various stages. And it was really, really well done. And then you come out of that, and then Friday night is our Good Friday service. And that was phenomenal. And then you're really primed for Sunday to come. And we had some Lenten practices that we would do as an entire church as well, and some fastings and different things. So there was you know, an additional 40 days worth of lead up and all of this together with some of the relationships that we've started to build at the church and the the ways that we started to feel connected at this church, even though we've only been there about nine months and it has felt so much like a family. So all of that to say, I feel like connection with the church makes the worship process better. And we don't often focus on connection in 21st century American church contexts, at least not Mm -hmm. in some of the large churches. And instead, we're a bunch of individuals showing up on Sunday morning, all attending the same event, experiencing the same experience. But there's a lack, there can be a lack of togetherness. And when you have been invested relationally and been pursuing Christ in the same way with these people over time, and then you come together for corporate worship, you feel like we together are corporately worshiping. Not a bunch of individuals, but me and Jason, me and -and so-and-so. Like you just, you name these people and you go, I know their story. I know their history. I know what they're dealing with. I know how they're praying. I know how they're growing. And we together are worshiping. That's Mm. a way more powerful event than just a bunch of individuals showing up to do one thing at a time, one thing all at the same time.
1: Absolutely. That's such a good point. And you're absolutely right. Until you know people's stories until you're engaging and feeling connected,
0: it is not like that. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the ways that this came out, I said, this is a collection of different thoughts. I was just in my spiritual formation class right before we started recording. And we talked about the fact that communion as we do it today, especially with these, you know, COVID communion cups is a very individualized experience. And that's not the way it used to be. Communion used to be a love feast, a, a gathering of people sitting around a table. And so relationally, emotionally, whatever, communion is now very safe. I don't have to reveal much about myself to anybody else in the process of communion. Mm. It's just between me and God. But that didn't used to be the way it was. It, we, this was a community event. You were sharing yourself with people. And partaking in communion. So we, in 21st century American churches, this is something that somebody said in the class, it was so great. We have replaced connection with production. And mm. that's a very poor substitute for connection. Oh
1: man, it's so funny that you say that. I was just in a conversation just the other day with a friend who was also in full-time ministry and we we're suggesting that churches often land somewhere on a spectrum of people on one side and production on the other side hmm. in terms of their emphasis and i don't necessarily want to say one is right or wrong but i do want to say that it is it speaks to the identity of the church where they land on that particular spectrum that is yeah. is very significant about how they're going to do church. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. That's
0: good stuff. Yeah, thanks. So, we've talked about the Psalms. You've shared a thought, and I've check. shared a thought. Check, now, check. Now, it must be time for mild confession that we call Witch Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
1: and this
0: week's Witch Josh is... Which Josh
1: has been really interested in Major League Baseball for approximately 72 hours? And those who know me... Yeah, if you've been listening at all, you know that is not Josh from Oregon because (laughs) he loves baseball. But just recently, my son developed an interest in baseball, and so... We've been listening to the games and talking about the games and watching the games. And uh, as a matter of fact, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go and finish uh, watching the hopefully the rest of the Red Sox game. I hope they haven't lost miserably yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping to see the rest of the game with him.
0: That is so exciting. Yes, I have loved baseball for a long time. I am so happy to be watching my Mariners this year and... I'm super excited that you're you're getting into Major League Baseball again, because, you know, not that we need more things to talk about, but hey, this is an opportunity to talk about baseball together.
1: Well, and, and looking back at our another recent episode about fun, you need to have fun in your life. That's an important thing.
0: Yes. Now you're making me want to just like end the podcast and go watch baseball.
1: Well, then I have sucked you into my world because that's where I'm at. So with that on on the mind, are we on for next week? We sure are. Catch you then. Awesome. I'll talk to you then. Bye.